You're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For more conferences, resources such as downloadable uh, instructions and information about Holy Week, as well as live mass times, please visit corona.sspx.online. Or for all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. Hello and welcome to the life of Christ. This is an introduction of sorts for a series of conferences that we hope to be posting soon covering the life of Christ. And it's meant to be a resource, we can say, for the practice of mental prayer, which during these times when we are sheltering in place, we have a lot of time on our hands. And obviously this is a a good time for us to, to deepen our spiritual life. We have the luxury of being able to spend more time with our Lord. The motto of Pope St. Pius X was to restore all things in Christ. And for the Society of St. Pius X, of course, this is another um, motto or another reason, we can say, for, for our existence. It's something that we all strive for. But to restore all things in Christ, and that includes, of course, not only orthodoxy in the church and the return of tradition, but also a restoration of all things in Christ, including, including society, a restoration of the reign of Christ the King. Any sort of restoration is going to need a solid foundation, and that foundation has to start with the individual Christian. Each and every one of us needs to, to have ourselves restored in Christ. We all need to be living his life in our own life. And of course, is that the number of people that are following our Lord grow, well, that's what is going to lead to the social reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't something that can be just artificially imposed on a pagan world. It's something that has to to take over and, and conquer. But again, it begins with our own heart. These conferences are going to be, as I said, focused on the life of Christ. And of course, we're going to be using as our resource the Gospels themselves. St. Jerome is famous for saying that ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And so by a meditative reading of these Gospels, we're going to be striving to know our Lord better. Now, of course, the more that we know and, and, and see the goodness of our Lord, well, quite naturally, that much more should the love that we have in our heart for Christ grow. It is uh, a law of nature. We can't, we can't love what we don't know. And if we love Christ so little, well, very often it's because we, we don't understand the depths of his love for us. And that is is really important, and that is really our goal in this, to know him better so that we can love him more. And then in loving him more, we are quite naturally, again, going to follow him and his example that much more easily. The way that Christ views a situation, the way he deals with his enemies, the way he reacts in the face of sorrows and trials and joys and contradictions in the cross, those need to be our ways of reacting St. Paul would say that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I would say that this is what it means to to put on Christ, which he also exhorts us to do. And when we've done this, well, then we are restored in Christ, as we said at the beginning. And we can take him then into this apostate world 
and be a witness to him, to our, to our friends and to our neighbors, to those who maybe we don't even know, but who see our way of behaving, and they see in that the example of Christ. In preparing this conference, I remembered a quote that a friend of mine, a, a fellow priest, um, heard when he first went to a cone. This is many, many years ago, many decades. And in the first uh, class of Dogma One, this is the where they learn all all the teachings of the church. The professor got up, and the class was was taught in Latin. And the professor said, "Religio sancta nostra non est dogma neque moralitas neque lex sed persona, dominus nostra Jesus Christus." And this priest, who was just a seminarian at the time, he commented about how much this struck him. And if we translated it, the professor was simply saying, Our holy religion is not dogma, nor is it morals, nor is it law, but rather a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what our religion is. We claim to be Catholic. We, we profess this and we wear this as a badge of honor. And yet we know by the teaching of Pope Pius XII that the Catholic Church is nothing else but the mystical body of Christ. To be Catholic is not to be attached to certain dogmas or morals or laws. It is to be attached to a person. It is to be attached to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to be incorporated into our Lord Jesus Christ as a a living member of his body. This is what it means to be Catholic. To be Catholic is not to simply perform rituals or check off boxes or follow a set of laws. It's much more than that. It is a relationship, I mean, an intimate relationship where, again, we are united by the bonds of supernatural charity, by the bonds of love, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who is God, and to our fellow man, who, who likewise is loved by God and is either a member or a potential member of that same mystical body of Christ. Now, I mentioned earlier that these conferences were going to be geared, of course, towards mental prayer. And for those of you who have been on retreats, you've obviously had an introduction to this. If you've done the Ignatian retreats, you're quite familiar with the Ignatian method of making mental prayer, of making a a meditation. But of course, there are very many different ways in which we can make mental prayer. Again, if we've been on retreat, we're used to perhaps going to a conference and the priest gives us Uh, a topic to meditate on, perhaps a grace that we're looking for. He expounds on the the topic that we're supposed to be meditating on, and then he turns us loose. We go back to our cabin, we go back to our room, and we spend the next 20-25 minutes reflecting on these things. And of course, these truths, as I mentioned, they're meant to provoke a response in the heart of the retreatant in order that he might take some good resolutions and again, bring his life more in conformity with the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. The drawback then to trying to make mental prayer at home is that Father doesn't come to our house every day and give us a conference and and tell us what to meditate on. We're forced to to feed our own soul through spiritual reading, through the reading of scripture, through uh, the use of a meditation book. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila, who was a, a master at mental prayer and a great authority, She said that for the first 14 years of her religious life, she could not meditate, she could not practice mental prayer without having a book at hand. Now, this term mental prayer, we contrast it with vocal prayer, but really any prayer can be categorized, as St. Teresa tells us, 
as simply a lifting of the mind and heart to God. Elsewhere, she would call it a, an intimate conversation with him who, whom we love and who we know loves us, namely, namely speaking to our Lord or speaking to any one of the saints or perhaps our guardian angel. It is a prayer in which the words of the prayer, they come from the heart of man. When we practice vocal prayer, we say the Our Father, we say the Hail Mary, we, we pray the Mass. Those are, those are vocal prayers where we take the words of a saint or we take the words of the church and we make those words our own. It still is classified as a, as a conversation with our Lord. It's just the words are not of our own making. I often equate it to if you, it was Mother's Day and I was going to, going to buy my mother a card. I wanted to give her a card and I went to the Hallmark store and I found some card that had some, some nice uh, sentiments in it that expressed something of the way that I felt about my mother. And I would sign my name inside the card, Thomas. All right. And she would read the card and it would read all of the, the lovely uh, words of some, you know, card uh, writer at, at Hallmark. And she would see my name at the bottom and, and she would be grateful. But if we went back, say, you know, 40, 45 years or, or more, we could imagine maybe another Mother's Day where, where a five or six year old child took some construction paper and some crayons and, and he made a card and he wrote how he felt about his mother. Dear Mommy, I love you, and you make good peanut butter sandwiches, and your hair smells like Fruit Loops. Love, Thomas. We would have to admit that those words are far less eloquent than those found in the Hallmark card, and yet which are more likely to touch the heart of a mother? Obviously the ones that, that come from, from the child himself, whether he's, whether he's six or whether he's 60. We don't want to, to hide behind words uh, of someone else, our Lord wants to hear from us. Now, this does not in any way take away from the value of vocal prayer. There are times in our lives when our heads maybe are, are too distracted, when we're too fatigued, and, and we need those set formula that we can fall back on. But normally, we want to be able to speak to our Lord again from our own heart. Now, if we're going to be speaking to our Lord, well, it would probably be good to have something to speak to him about some topic of conversation. If you're going to see some prince or king, you're going to think ahead of time what you would like to ask him, what you would like to discuss with him, those questions you might want answered. And so too with Christ, we want to, we want to bring something to the table when we, when we go to speak to him. In these conferences, what we're going to be doing is going back and reflecting on the mysteries from the life of our Lord, the various events in his life from the, from the Annunciation through his, his hidden life, the time, of course, uh, in, in Egypt and in, in Nazareth, uh, into his public ministry and, and ultimately to his passion and death. The approach that we're going to take is to select a, an event from the life of our Lord, and what we're going to do, and you'll see this in each conference, we're going to read through the text one time. It'll only be maybe 12 to 15 lines at the most, I would say. But we're going to read through it just to kind of get an overview of the event and, and what's happening. Who's there? What's, what's taking place? What's being said? What's being done? And then we're going to read through it a second time. And the second time that we go through it, what we're going to do is, is make some commentary. We're going to consider... Making, making some reflections, trying to draw some conclusions, or maybe occasionally some, some applications in our own life. 
And then when the conference ends, your job then is going to be to take 15 minutes or, or, or 20 minutes or, or half an hour or an hour. And you're going to go back and you're going to read through those same verses a third time. But very slowly, you're going to read the verse. You're going to reflect upon it. You're going to ponder it. St. Ignatius, in, in instructing us how to make contemplation, he has us consider the persons, the words, the actions that are taking place. We're going to do this with the, the gospel text there right in front of us to act as a guide or to act as a crutch to help to keep the mind on track and keep it from wandering. Your goal then is going to be to make a meditative reading of the gospel text that we've reviewed. You'll read one line and you'll reflect upon it. Who is there? What are they saying? What are they doing? Why did our Lord do this? Why did he choose this? It didn't have to be this way. If our Lord chooses this, it's because there's some lesson surely there for us. And we can ask our Lord, is there an application here in my life? What do you want me to learn from this? How can I be better imitating this? The who, the what, the where, the when, and above all, the why question. Why do you do this, Lord? Our Lord's life, from the first moment of his conception to the, to the last moment before his ascension, everything in his life is meant to be an example for us to follow. Remember, where we are to reproduce his life in our own. On retreats, I remind the people that it isn't, you know, simply wearing sandals and growing a beard and walking the streets of Palestine. That's not what it means to live our Lord's life. But again, it is to put him on. It is, as St. Paul, as I said earlier, to let Christ live in us. And when his virtues become ours, his attitudes, his dispositions, when they become our own, then Christ is able to live in us. And it's been said before that, that Christ continues his incarnation through we who are his members it's your eyes that he wants to use to see in this world. It is your hands that he wants to use to, to bind up the wounded, to, to aid those who have, have been taken hostage by the devil, to, to aid them in being freed from, from this tyrant who would turn them against their master, against their Lord, against their Savior, their Redeemer, their friend. It's your job and my job as Christians to allow Christ to use us in this way. But of course, our nature is wounded by original sin. Of course, there's far too much of self in our life. It is, as St. Paul said, that old man that wars in us, that old man that now during this time of Lent, we're supposed to be putting to death precisely so that at Easter, Christ can rise and live in us. This is our goal. Before wrapping this up, let's maybe remind ourselves that ultimately what's going to transform our hearts is going to be God's grace. We can't do this on our own. We know that we are but poor sinners. The only thing that we are really capable of on our own is sin. And yet God tells us, I desire not the death of a sinner, but that he be converted and live. God desires our salvation far more than, than we ourselves. We know this. And yet, he will not force us to love him. St. Augustine has said that he who created you without your help will not save you without your help. 
Again, St. Augustine would say that we should pray as if everything depended on God, and we should work as if everything depended on us. If we truly want to save our souls, there are few things more efficacious than mental prayer. St. Teresa of Avila and, and other saints beside her have made it clear that for, for them at least, anyone who will dedicate themselves to the practice of 15 minutes, a quarter of an hour of mental prayer every day, these saints would tell us that it's impossible for that soul to be lost. And how can they say that? They can say that because the practice of mental prayer, this daily practice of this intimate conversation with, with our beloved, is, is completely incompatible with mortal sin. And ultimately, mortal sin is the only thing that is going to stand in the way of our salvation. But these two things, they cannot coexist. The practice of a, a genuine practice of a of mental prayer every day is incompatible with mortal sin being in our life. It doesn't mean that occasionally someone may still fall. But if they do, God is going to give them the grace to get back up and to save their soul. Now, if the person refuses to give up this practice of meditation, then sooner or later, mortal sin will be eradicated in their life. On the other hand, if the person refuses to give up mortal sin, and usually this is because they refuse to give up the occasions of sin, well, you can be sure that they're not going to continue and persevere in the practice of mental prayer. So it's really up to us, which are we going to choose? In the book of Deuteronomy, our Lord and our Almighty God, he says that I've placed before you this day life and death. Now choose which you will. And so just to recap, the way that we're going to approach this, we're going to pick a topic. We're going to open our, our New Testament. We're going to pick some event from our Lord's life. We're going to, we're going to take maybe 10 to 15 lines of that, the scripture. We're going to read through the text to try and gain an overview of the subject matter, the event, the mystery. And then we're going to read through it a second time, as I mentioned earlier, line by line. And we're going to ponder it. We're going to reflect it. We're going to ask some questions, maybe answer some questions. And then we're going to leave it to you at the end of the conference to read through those same lines again on your own, sitting in silence with our Lord, spending that, you know, what they would call quality time with our Lord. And let us emphasize that, that the important thing is to speak to him. There is a common saying that says, where there is no communication, there is no relationship. We see this verified in our own lives. When, when someone stops speaking to us, when they give us the silent treatment, it's usually because friendship has been broken. And so let us, if we are serious about having a relationship with our Lord, let us make sure that we speak to him. Now, to be clear, remember that a conversation is two-sided. We don't have to be babbling the whole time. We know that two lovers are quite content to simply sit in one another's presence, to, to be content with just the fact that the other person is near. And so we can sit in silence and simply be there with our Lord. This is a, a kind of communication, certainly. If we ask God for the grace, he will, he will speak to us, but it will be through our own conscience. I may read a verse and I may... The thought may come to me, Lord, are you, are you trying to tell me I need to do this? Are you trying to tell me that 
um, I, I need to avoid that. It will, it will come to us, and, and that is the kind of communication we're looking for. Now, there may be some who would say, well, Father, you know, it's, Scripture is hard to understand. St. Peter makes that clear, that the, the unlearned and the, the, the unbalanced can twist it to their, to their own destruction, and that's true. And so we always have to keep in mind that when we're reading the scriptures, they are full of mystery. They are hard to understand, and yet they are there for our instruction. There is something called the analogy of faith. And so if I, in reading scripture, I think, well, hey, I think this means this, like a Protestant would. Well, we know that the analogy of faith demands that we reconcile any interpretation with what we already know is defined by the faith. So the Protestant who would read something in, in Holy Scripture about the, the brethren of our Lord, well, we know that it's already defined that Our Lady was ever virgin. That is something that the Church teaches, and so that interpretation of Holy Scripture would be false. Likewise, any inspiration that I might have that God wants me to do this, if it's incompatible with my duty of state, well, I know that my duty of state is willed by God. And so I would have to discount that inspiration as being rather a temptation from the devil. And so in conclusion, let me, if I haven't already said it, let me insist that these conferences are not here simply to educate us. We know, and Holy Scripture tells us, that, that knowledge puffs up. It can make us proud. This is not a, an online college course on, on sacred scripture or the New Testament but rather it's an opportunity to come into contact with our Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal is to know him better in order that we might love him more and imitate him, follow his life that much more closely. Something just came to me. Actually, if you'll allow me just to tack this on as a, a final, final amendment, and that is during the time of conversation, you're going to be alone, you're there, you're going to be speaking to our Lord from your heart, Perhaps you may find it useful to actually take pen and paper and rather than simply to speak to our Lord mentally in your own thoughts, but to write down those thoughts. In other words, to write uh, a letter to our Lord. Somebody uh, had referred to it as a prayer journal or something along those lines. The benefit of this is that it can, go, it can be a resource for us to go back and consider what were my thoughts. And it can be quite insightful in helping us to see where our heart was before, particularly in times of desolation, times when maybe our, our faith is tempted. We can go back and we can see that, that our heart was touched, that we were convicted, we were convinced of this truth. And of course, as St. Ignatius says, in those times of desolation, it's precisely then that we can't change. It's precisely then that we have to stick to our guns. And so just a thought. It isn't necessary. If it gets in the way of your prayer, well, then certainly disregard it. But some people have, have employed it and actually found it quite useful. So, again, rather than, than speaking to our Lord merely, write out those thoughts in a letter. Ask those questions in a letter. It can be um, useful because the more senses we get involved the more um, the whole man is involved in the prayer and the easier it is then for uh, the mind not to wander quite so much. And so it can be a, a way to, to fight distractions. So 
it's there. If it helps, use it. If not, well then, just stick to the to the purely mental prayer itself. Good luck and God bless you.